0: Because in the old ones were these ones with the holes in. They're the ones I used to like because actually I always took comfort when the preacher got up here, took their watch off and then put it through the hole here. You thought, oh, they're going to keep an eye on the time. Now, there's no way to put that up here. So, And then normally the preacher will put the watch up there and then if it's anything like me, I'd never look at it again. So I'm absolutely hopeless. So I'm hoping I can get through in this sin about 20 minutes or so. But if I run over, I remember sitting up here once and um, Grandma Maggie Mazel, who... Uh, not part of this church any longer. But when Graham got up to speak, and he was notorious for talking, wasn't he, Graham? And, and Maggie used to hold up like cards at the back with five on it. And it wasn't five out of ten. It wasn't marks for his preach It was you've got five minutes left. You better get a move on. So, so I thought that's quite a helpful way of uh, the congregation keeping the the preacher on track, really. Okay, I'm preaching today. We're working through. If you're if you're with us for the first time, or passing through. You've been with us for a couple of weeks. We're working through the book of Luke, and we're not even quite halfway yet. But we're doing. Very well, because Luke is full of wonderful truths, is it not? We're about in Luke 11 this morning, and that's what I'm going to look at, Luke 11, 1-4. So if you want to look that up, and there will be very familiar verses. And it's Jesus teaching on prayer. And it goes like this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Extremely familiar words, I would guess, for very many of us here, and the, the, the longer version of that is found in Matthew, really, but... Um, Luke's got the abridged version, if you like, but it encompasses everything that Matthew would have said. And, and I guess for many of us, if we have been brought up in a Sunday school or if we had parents that are Christians, it's probably the first prayer we've possibly ever learnt and, uh, and learnt to recite. Um, I remember years ago just lying, you know, kneeling by the bed before I went to, to sleep and often going through this prayer. So one of the great, I guess, one of the great saints, John Wesley, said this I have resolved to devote an hour each morning, noon, and evening to prayer. No pretense, no excuse, whatever. So John Wesley, great man of of God, great missionary, set his stall out up here somewhere, one hour each morning, evening, and noon. So three hours a day he would pray, and I guess that's probably just the tip of the iceberg for somebody like this, and it's not practical for many of us to pray for three hours a day, I realise that, but... What I'm going to go through, hopefully, is some practical details behind prayer and how, actually, uh, how prayer is so important. And I guess all the saints throughout the ages have proclaimed prayer to be their secret behind their powerful ministries. And Len Ravenhill, who was a missionary in the 20th century, said, No man is greater than his prayer life, and how true that is. And so these ordinary Christians simply took to heart the Bible's teaching, which exhorts us as, as Jesus' disciples to pray and not give up, To be faithful in prayer, to keep on praying, to devote ourselves to prayer, and to pray continually. The disciples asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus' disciples instinctively knew that they needed to be taught how to pray. And they simply came to the Lord and said, teach us how to pray. And that seems to be like a good approach to me this morning. And we may have tried to establish a prayer pattern for ourselves, but with limited success. Our flesh may be weak, but our spirit is willing. And I don't know about you, sometimes it's trying to work out when's the best time of the day to pray. And you know, you've probably come across many people as I have who set up prayer walls or have prayer lists and things. And that, that can become very helpful in some respects, but it can also become quite legalistic. So when's the best time of the day to pray for you? You might be an early morning person. You might get lunch break and you might go and sit in the car or or find somewhere else quiet to pray. We're all slightly different. But it's so refreshing to know that the Apostle Paul in no way condemns us for our weakness in this area. Instead, and refreshingly, he acknowledges it, stating that we do not know how to pray in Romans 8.26, but adding that the Holy Spirit is there to help us. Without the Spirit's touch, our prayer lives may be just a little flat. But when the Spirit who intercedes for us highlights the importance of prayer in our lives. Those prayers become the most dynamic we can offer to the Father. We might have expected Jesus to respond to the disciples' question here, Lord teaches us to pray, by emphasising the importance of their inner attitudes to prayer. Instead, he provided them with a framework, just 57 Greek words in length, which has become known as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said that the Father was not impressed by vain repetitions in Matthew 6-7, so it was never his intention to present us to a uh, to present us a prayer which we should learn to recite. The outline he gave us was meant to consist of a number of headings on which we can build our prayers and I don 't know about you, but God knows that our minds go off at a tangent when we start to pray. Have you ever been in that situation where you sit down right, I must pray now, and all of a sudden what's happened in the day comes into mind, the television program you're about to record, the football match you're about to play, and all these things cut across. God would have us pray about. it. it's very difficult to keep our minds on on board, isn't it? And so if we want to establish sustained disciplines and regular prayer, we need help. And that help can come through the structure of the Lord's prayer. So some practical suggestions. Never start your prayers with a confession of your sins in order to clear the way to God. Not only will this approach lead to us digging a hole of self-condemnation, but we run the risk of becoming preoccupied with ourselves at a time when we should be focusing on God. We naturally need to pray for forgiveness, all of us, I guess, but it's not the best way to begin as Satan takes the opportunity of greeting us and diverting us into a total sidetrack. We might also feel that we don't need to focus much on private prayer because we pray as we're walking the dog or driving. Continual prayer is indeed encouraged, but Jesus also told us to go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret in Matthew 6, verse 6. We often find Jesus, don't we, although pursued most of the time by large crowds, withdrawing to the lonely places to pray. And so, the structure of the Lord's Prayer starts with our Father. It's all about our wonderful relationship with our Lord God. And if you go back to Old Testament times, how did that look for us, if we'd been part of the people in the wilderness only one person could go into the Holy of Holies, the high priest, Aaron, and only once a year could he go into the Holy of Holies and represent the people before God. And then last week, that wonderful Easter service reminded us that actually the curtain had been ripped into. The curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the inner sanctum has been ripped into and we now have free access to our Father any time of the day or the night. What a wonderful privilege. We don't have to lay down some sort of sacrifice of a lamb. We don't have to go through rituals. But what God is expecting is just us to step out and have a conversation with him, of prayer. So our starting point in the Lord's Prayer is all about fixing our eyes on the Father and getting our perspective right. If we don't start with our Father and we go straight into asking for something, then we miss the point of the relationship altogether. And so I can relax in God's grace and love. I'm not required to prove my worth to him. Jesus is my righteousness. So I don't have to manufacture it. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. But I am in it. I stand complete in Christ. I have died to the law and I am under no condemnation whatsoever. It's simply impossible to get God to love me any more or less than he does now. His love for me is already complete. Because it's exactly the same love that he has for his son Jesus. And I want to just read that over you as well. It's not me personalizing that, but it's exactly the same. If you're a born-again Christian here this morning, it's all about us knowing our place in God. And the and the verse that Ray read this morning from Hebrew is all about us being new creations, about us being set apart. Wonderful. We must know our position in Christ, and that's where we come in, our Father, all about the relationship. And some of us here might need a revelation this morning about our position before our Heavenly Father. And it may have been tempered by your experience of your own earthly fathers. And I might have shared from the stage once before that my experience of my earthly father was very short. My father left the house when, he was about, when I was about two and a half, and I never saw him again until his 60th birthday party. And I never saw him after that. So, my appreciation of a father's heart, a father's structure in the home, a father's love for his children was completely devoid of anything. And so, when I became a Christian, I had to really work at that. I picked up the picked up the word, and I saw what the father's heart was for his children. And I tried as best I could to to mirror that in my marriage and in my kids' lives and everything. But if you have another father that's brought you up, if you had abusive bringing up or anything, it must be very difficult for you. And I so appreciate this to know the heavenly father might love you but he loves you with a deep deep love this morning then the verse goes on to talk about hallowed be your name what does hallowed mean it means set apart as being holy and so as we enter into prayer as sons talking to our father there is another equally important side to our relationship with him that we dare not forget jesus made reference to this when he prayed holy father in John 17, verse 11. In doing this, he brought together the intimacy and the awesomeness of God. For us to have a sound understanding of who he is, we need to balance both of these truths. God is not just Father, neither is he only majestic Lord. There's a combination of the both here. If we overemphasize his fatherhood, we will tend to drag him down to our level. If we over concentrate on his holiness, We will not be able to lift ourselves up to his. He is our Holy Father and hallowed be his name. Then the verse goes on to talk about his kingdom come, his kingdom coming in power. We are not waiting for his kingdom. It is here now. When we repented and believed the gospel, we stepped into that government or kingdom straight away. And we began tasting the powers of the age to come. We passed from death to life and we became New creations. In that moment that we said yes to Jesus, everything changed. I'm thinking of Kathy and Chase this morning. Kathy's about to hopefully give birth to her first child. And you know if you've got children of your own, the moment that child is born, your life changes forever. Not quite the same here, but there's a the moment's change. When you give your life to the Lord, that whole, your whole life changes completely. So our prayers in this area must not be simply for the advancement of an internal kingdom within us as his children, but moreover, moreover, we must ask God for a visible manifestation of his presence and power amongst his people. The healing of the sick, the casting out of demons, the recovery of the deaf, dumb and blind, and the forgiveness of sins were and are all works of his kingdom. They weren't some sort of addition to the message, they were part of it. The miracles are evidence of the kingdom of God in action And we should expect, as His people, to see that manifest in this church and in other churches that love Jesus. Then the verse goes on to talk about, "Give us our day, give us each day our daily bread." And it's amazing, isn't it? It starts off all about Father, "Hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come." And it's almost like at this verse, someone's put the brakes on this prayer. It's all about us. There's a sudden and dramatic change in emphasis within this prayer. From the great spiritual vision to apparently a mundane thought about daily bread. And it seems to be startling in this particular prayer. But it simply serves to remind us that God cares not only about us as spiritual people, but as those who have physical needs as well. As any good father, he loves to give and he does this in three ways. Willingly, joyfully and generously. So willingly, God is love and love by definition cannot withhold or remain neutral. It has to give. It is therefore impossible for God to be love and stingy at one at the same time. Secondly, joyfully, if God loves a cheerful giver in 2 Corinthians 9-7, then it stands to reason that it is no hardship for him to give. And thirdly, generously, God's highest gift was his son and maybe his most basic gift might be our daily bread. Surely then God is telling us that if he's willing to give us both his most precious and the most common things, then he's more than willing to supply us with everything in between. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyments. Not some things, but everything. He is, as Ray said earlier, our jehovah Jireh, our provider. Then the verse goes on to pick out This next part, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. 1 John 1 verse 8 reminds us that if we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves. Yes, we are righteous before God and new creations in Christ. There's no doubt about that, but we will still fall or we will still fail the Lord at times. On these occasions, we need to act on the encouragement to confess our sins in 1 John 1 9. And to receive God's forgiveness. Owning up to being wrong is difficult, isn't it? I don't know about you. Pride gets in. To admit our faults is really difficult sometimes. It's almost like loss of face for us. It's easy to forget or to justify. And sometimes, I don't know if you've used this, or God knows I don't mean it. Or, yes, I got angry, but he deserved it. And it's very easy to shift the blame. But beware here, there is a significant difference between the devil's condemnation of us and the father's conviction of our spirit. The devil will tend to paint a really black picture of how much we were failing God, although he doesn't usually specify in which areas we were actually at fault. By contrast, the conviction brought by the spirit slices into our consciences like a double-edged sword, and we should therefore not be in too much doubt when and where we have offended the father. But what about forgiving others? It's only when we consider the debt we owe to Christ that we shall fully appreciate why we must forgive. Remember that parable in Matthew 18 verse 27 of the servant who owed his master the equivalent of over a million pounds. And remember what happened here? The servant fell on his knees and he begged the master for time to repay, not that he ever could do probably. And the master's reaction, what would you and I do? Well, the master's reaction in this was three things. He firstly took pity on him. He secondly cancelled the debt. And thirdly, he let him go free. When we ask for God's mercy, he doesn't ponder the request for hours or days or work out how much he might lose. He doesn't seek to get even with us even when we offend him. Instead, he looks on us with compassion compassion immediately releases us from the whole debt and gives us total freedom. There are no half measures with our God. The verse goes on to say then, and lead us not into temptation. There is some debate here amongst scholars about whether God actually leads us into temptation, but James very clearly tells us, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. James 1.13. And he goes on to state that each one is tempted by his own evil desire. We must therefore take personal responsibility if we fall into sin. This doesn't mean that we simply wait for temptation to come and then cry out to God about it. Jesus encourages us to be alert to the approach of evil. James promises us that if we submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from us. Therefore, it's worth remembering that not only can all Christians expect to be tempted... But more importantly, they can also expect to be delivered. His word goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that we will never face any temptation which is too great for us to bear. There will always be a significant grace given to us to escape. Jesus' victory over temptation is available to everyone. I wonder if the bands can come back up please. If there's any other band still here, that is. Caroline, fantastic, thank you. There's other great things in Matthew 11 about prayer, about asking, seeking, knocking, about our persistence before God. We haven't really got time to go into all of those today. But I just want to do a quick summary of what we've talked about now, just seven points about what I want to bring to you. First of all, the Lord's Prayer. Start with the relationship. Personalise it. My father, my daddy, Abba Father, whatever you say to God when you sit down in front of him, always start with that wonderful relationship. Remember, you've been bought with a cost. Then dwell on the intimacy and the awesomeness of God. He's not just a nice fluffy father, but actually he's a mighty God as well. Thirdly, focus on the kingdom. It is already here. And it exudes power. Number four, concentrate on the Father for your needs. He gives willingly, joyfully and generously. Number five, remind yourselves that the devil would want to bring condemnation, but that God will bring conviction through his Holy Spirit. Number six, rush to forgive those that wrong you. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Never let the sun go down on your wrath. And the last point, finally, avoid temptation. But when you are tempted, there will always be sufficient grace for us to escape. So I want to do a couple of things now, if I could, please. Uh, the first thing I want to do is, because we're talking about prayer, um, some of you may know that um, Derek and Chrissy, certainly Derek's been going through quite a serious problem with his eye this week. Um, he brought it to our attention last week. He had a problem with his eye. He subsequently had two and a half hours of surgery on it. And the doctors are not sure whether they can save the eye and the retina could be detached. Well, that's not God's best for Derek. I know that for a start. And they, they think it's a, a, um, a case of dormant measles that, that he's obviously had for years that's sort of resurfaced in that eye. So, and the doctors have also said that it could spread to the other eye. So I'd like you to get to your feet if you could, please. That's the first thing I'd like to do. And we've prayed for Derek this week but there's nothing more powerful than the body of Christ coming together in one and praying for one of our brothers. There is power in this room. Power to change things in life. Yeah. And so I wonder if we can just spend some time. Derek and Chrissy are wonderful servants of this church and are always giving. They um, mean an awful lot to us in the way they serve, the way they've looked after us over the years as well when we've been going through tough times. And now Derek is suffering. when one suffers we all suffer and so I wonder if we can just pray for Derek now I wonder if you can just raise your voice and pray your very best prayer, I know the doctors have wisdom in these areas but sometimes God has a different outcome doesn't he and God's outcome for Derek would be complete restoration of sight the end of this measles virus if that's what they're putting it down to and him being returned to us in the body Yeah, that would be God's best for Derek and for Chrissy. So let's raise our voices now and pray for them. Yeah, Lord God, we say, Father, we hand this to you, Lord God. You are wonderful, Lord God. You are the great healer. Father, we just lift Derek up to you right now, wherever he is, Lord, and we say, Father, bring total restoration to this eye in Jesus' name we ask. Lord God, we love him so much, and you love him, and thank you that so his relationship with you is wonderful, Lord God. Father, help him at this time. Restore sight, Lord God. Father, pray for Chrissy and the rest of the family, Lord God. They'll take real hope and peace in you, Lord God. Father, total restoration. Thank you, Father. you raised with healing in your wings, Lord God. You are the great healer. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Jesus is Lord. King of kings. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father if you just remain standing for a second, just another couple of bits of well, another piece of family news that obviously I just mentioned that Kathy is in hospital now so she's being induced to have her first child. so uh, please remember Kathy in your prayers this week. Um, I don't know if she's nervous, I guess she probably would be, but you know we want God's presence to fall upon her as well. And I just want to pray for certain things. I want to pray for people this morning. Um, two or three areas please. Number one, if you're struggling in your prayer life, you know, if you really can't get to grips with the Lord's Prayer, if, you like, if you've forgotten about you know really getting before God, if you're you can't find the right time of the day, or you just feel that your relationship with God has been um, drawn a bit cold, and I'd love to pray for you this morning. I especially want to pray for those people that have got a relationship with their earthly fathers that really doesn't help them at all. You don't have to go into detail, but I would certainly be down there for prayer this morning because I know how it's affected me in my life. My relationship with my earthly father wasn't good. And it has tempered my view of of God or had in the early days. And then I just want to pray for the sick as well this morning. So I'm not going to come back up here and ask for you guys to come down the front if that applies to anybody again. So we're going to sing a song and if any of those things apply to you then I'd love you to come down the front and pray.